0: You're listening to Preservation Destination, the podcast where we explore the history of the built environment. Whether you are a preservation pro, dabbler, or just into fascinating history, you are in the right place. Join our host, Taylor Volts, as she interviews experts in the field of preservation as they pass their knowledge on to us. And here is your host of Preservation Destination, Taylor Volts.
1: Welcome to this week's episode of Preservation Destination. Today my guest is preservationist and designer Megan Lord of Hunt and Gather Home. Welcome Megan.
0: Thanks Taylor. I really appreciate you having me on and um, I'm excited to be here talking with you today. Great.
1: I'm excited to have you here. (laughs) Can you please tell us a little bit about yourself and what it is that you do?
0: Sure. I will start with that. I am a Louisiana native, so I was born in New Orleans and then really grew up in Alexandria, which is in the central part of the state. I have a lot of early memories visiting Kent House, Kent Plantation House here in Alexandria, going on tours with my preschool class, looking at the architecture. Um, how the building was constructed. And for some reason, those memories really stuck with me. So when I ended up leaving here after high school and going to college, I knew I wanted to go eventually into preservation. Uh, I went to the University of Alabama and then I went on to grad school at Savannah College of Art and Design. Uh, And I never intended to move back to Louisiana, but Mm -hmm. my husband and I both finished our graduate school degrees from different schools, but at the same time, we had just gotten married and we were looking for jobs and we decided that we would move to the first place that one of us got a job offer. Okay. So that happened to be New Orleans and we figured, okay, well, if we have to move back to Louisiana, then we're okay with New Orleans, we'd like to live there. So um, that's how we ended up back in Louisiana. After... I took a job there in New Orleans working for the SHPO's, um historic building recovery grant program for a couple years. Uh, we started our family and then we decided to move back to my hometown and our hotel- hometown of Alexandria. And I took a position there as the director of the historic preservation commission, which is the city's arm of preservation. Mm-hmm. And um, about four years ago, I left government work, so after working for the state and the city, and that's when I started my own preservation and design consulting business, and then one year later, purchased um, an interiors and gift shop, so it kind of goes hand-in-hand hand with some of the things I do with my preservation and design, so I guess you would call me a preservationist and a creative entrepreneur. I'm not really sure what my <laughs> exact title is, but I do a little bit of both, and I really love the creativity that comes with combining those two professions.
1: hmm Okay. Yeah, I know we'll talk about that a little bit later when we get down into the the nitty-gritty of the questions. But I wanted to go back and and ask you about your education. So Mm -hmm. uh, it's an impressive list of letters and acronyms, Uh, (laughs) a BA in Art History, an MFA in Historic Preservation, and an MA in Architectural History. Did you get the MFA and the MA both from SCAD?
0: I did, yes. Okay. So, like I said, you know, I knew I wanted to go into preservation from an early age, but I also really wanted to have a um, more of a traditional college experience. So that's why I chose to go to Alabama for undergrad, and then had the intention, really, when I went into undergrad, of pursuing a graduate degree in historic preservation. You know, I, I chose art history first of all because I love. Studying art and culture and traveling, and I really loved the research and writing, so that really seemed to fit there. And I knew it would launch me well into preservation. And then I chose SCAD. I wanted to stay in the southeast. After studying a little bit of you know architectural history in college, I I just loved the buildings and the, the buildings st- mm-hmm. architectural style in the south. I I kind of even chose my colleges based on what you know, the buildings looked like and how their campuses were set up. So um, I'm a really visual person buildings and sense of place had a lot to do with the um, academic programs that, that I chose.
1: Okay. I looked at the, the, the uh, MFA and historic preservation from SCAD. That was one of the, when I was trying to decide where I wanted to go to school, that mm-hmm. one was on my list. Cause I'm, I'm actually from Georgia. And so, you know, I was looking for, I was like, well, there's a couple of different ones here in the state and I wouldn't have to go yeah. too far away. <laughs> yeah. But then, you know, there's like Pennsylvania and some other ones. And I think, uh, you know, Tulane was sort of the top of my list. And mm-hmm. when I, that was the, the first, acceptance letter I got and I was like I don't even need to wait for anything else because that's that's where I want to go.
0: Well New Orleans is a great place to study too. You know I loved um, SCAD and Savannah just because really the way that their campus was laid out. It's not a confined campus like within the city. It really is spread throughout their downtown and even to some of their streetcar suburb areas. So um, you can have a a building. Um, excuse me. A class at one end of the downtown, and then your next class might be, you know, several blocks over in an old school building. So you really like preservation is um, all around you. You're studying in buildings that have been restored, and um, it's it's a really cool environment. So so mm-hmm.
1: can you tell us a little bit about the program itself because. I've mentioned this in some other podcasts, like most of the people I know did the same program that I did. And I'm always really curious to find out how other schools are doing, you know, their tracks in preservation.
0: Yeah, Um, I'm I'm sure a lot of things have changed. I was there from 2004 through 2007. So it's been a while, but um, Mm -hmm. I had a really good experience. You know, I talked about the campus, how it was spread out throughout um, downtown and really throughout the historic district and, and several other neighborhoods. So that was one thing that, that drew me there. And, you know, when you're going to class and when you're seeing these buildings that have been rehabbed very recently, um, that just sort of intrinsically kind of supports in what you're learning already in preservation, you see it in action. Let's see what else the, well, I guess what I really did like about SCAD, it seemed to be a really good mix of a balance of kind of some hands-on technical preservation skills, so, you know, observing buildings, historic buildings, learning to look at them through a preservationist eye and identify, you know, moisture issues, um, looking at repointing, learning how to do some repointing. Um, there were tons of opportunities, too, to actually do that hands-on preservation work. So, this technical preservation skills were there, uh, then also balanced with, you know, research and writing working or volunteering or interning with some local nonprofits, the Historic Savannah Foundation. So there were, you could sort of explore all the different aspects of preservation. I did not know going into it, you know, what a wide range of kind of opportunities you have to work in preservation once you really finish your education and get out in the field. So there's so many, you know, so many avenues where you can use preservation. My experience at SCAD gave me a great overview into, you know, all of those and kind of helped me figure out which one I really wanted to go into. Mm -hmm. So I did, they do have at SCAD a one-year MA in preservation and the two-year MFA. And the MFA is a terminal degree. So that would, which I did, if I ever wanted to teach, you know, that would have afforded me that opportunity. Mm -hmm. And then at the end of my first year there, SCAD has a campus in Lacoste, France, and so they were going to be offering some preservation classes for the fall quarter, and I was able to go, um, and so studied in in the south of France for a quarter, which was wonderful Mm -hmm. in the fall, Um, and that, you know, I just, I love traveling and experiencing other cultures, and so to be able to do some hands-on preservation work there in France was a really unique experience. And while I was there, I took an architectural history class as well, and so I absolutely loved that. It really balanced out, gave me a, a broader, just knowledge of how to put the research I was doing into a broader context. So mm-hmm. when I'm looking at buildings, um, being able to to understand the cultures and um, how the form of the building represents, you know, the culture that may have constructed it originally. So. I really loved that architectural history history class and felt it balanced a lot of the technical part of what I was learning in my preservation classes. So when we got back to Savannah, I decided to add the MA in architectural history. So I stayed mm-hmm. one more year, and I just – I'd like to learn, and if I could have stayed longer yeah. and – uh had a degree in in architecture and and interior design I would have done that too but that wasn't going to happen so I needed to start working.
1: (laughs) Yeah I I definitely understand I'm one of those people too like I could I could go back and do like so many different things especially when I hear about what other schools are offering and like oh you know I could go I could go do this and get some city planning uh, experience (laughs) and Yeah, I could, I could do that forever, but yeah, same kind of thing. You know, eventually you do have to go to work. It's, it's a sad fact, but (laughs) it does have to (laughs) happen. (laughs) You said, so you, you, after you finished graduate school, you, you guys were looking for jobs and you got the job back here in New Orleans and that, that was after uh, Hurricane Katrina. And so at that time, Louisiana was using a program called the Historic Building Recovery Grant Program, Mm -hmm. which is something that you worked directly with in the position that you had. Can you talk about the grant program, like the work that you were doing, Mm -hmm. and um, what that experience was like for you?
0: Sure. So I worked as a project officer for the Historic Building Recovery Grant Program, and that was my first job out of grad school. And I I really could not have asked for a better first job experience. I had wonderful co-workers. We were, you know, in New Orleans right after Katrina, which you don't really realize it at the time, like how monumental that is. But um, I, it was it was a really special experience for me. And I, I learned a lot and I was able to use and really put into practice a lot of what I, you know, came out of grad school with that experience. But um, the program was, was a temporary grant program. So it's not It doesn't exist anymore, Mm -hmm. Um, and it was operated by the Louisiana State Historic Preservation Office and um, established through federal funding that had been appropriated after Hurricanes Katrina and Rita. So those occurred in 2005, and then this grant program really got started late 2006, early 2007. I was part of a second round of project officers that they hired, Um, so I came on in the fall of 2007. And then Mississippi had a similar grant program. I'm not sure what they called it, but that was operated by their Department of Archives and History and through the same federal funding that was handed down. So mm-hmm. the projects that we that were our grant recipients had to have direct damage caused by Hurricane Katrina or Rita. They had to be located within, um, within a National Register Historic District, which, you know, there are many in, in New Orleans.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And then or individually listed on the national register. So even, so we had some projects that were, excuse me, not, not in historic districts, but were individually listed, you know, um, in parishes sort of outlying outside of New Orleans, but most of our projects were in this city.
1: Mm -hmm.
0: So each state sort of set up their own procedure for handing out this grant money, Louisiana's looked different from Mississippi's in the way that that money was handed out. Both programs provided grants to homeowners, like I said, whose buildings were damaged by Katrina or Rita, but Louisiana was able to help hundreds of home- homeowners, mostly in the New, or- New Orleans area. Our grants were capped at $45,000, so that was the most money that you could receive. Okay. Um, Mississippi's grants were much larger, and so they had fewer grants, but larger scale projects. So. Most of our projects were, you know, just regular homeowners. We had projects throughout the area I was responsible for with projects in the Treme, Esplanade Ridge area, neighborhood, um, a couple in the Lower Garden District, the Parkview area, um, some in the Lower Ninth Ward, and a couple in Araby. But we really had them throughout the city's historic districts, um, Gentilly and other areas. But these were just everyday people whose homes had been Sometimes significantly and other times um, just minimally damaged by, by Katrina by either flooding or wind damage mostly is what we saw. So we worked with the homeowners to sort of manage their project and their budget. We helped them establish a scope of work. So, I mean, we were walking around the homes and looking, assessing storm damage helping them understand what the secretary of interior standards were. Most of mm-hmm. these people, you know, they knew they lived in an old house, but they didn't necessarily consider it to be historic. So kind of having that conversation with them and helping them to place some historic value on their home and understand what the, you know, architectural character was and why it was important to keep the windows and, you know, restore some of those features, Um, We helped them communicate with their contractors, which they had to hire on their own. So oftentimes if they hadn't had a building project to work with, you know, they needed some help, one, explaining what the standards were that they had to follow. And then there were so many contractors after Katrina that, you know, came in from out of town and a lot of contractor fraud going on, a lot of shoddy work happening. And so we had to kind of try to mitigate some of that you know there were a ton of contractors that were doing leveling house leveling and i saw some terrible work uh, and so you know we had to kind of go in and communicate with the contractor and and tell them that wasn't going to meet the standards and that's a fun conversation to have when you're yeah. 25 years old and you know female and this contractor is like this guy's like you know you don't know what you're talking about so so i learned really quickly one how to communicate with Homeowners that, you know, they don't have a million dollars. They don't have a huge home. They they just kind of are doing their everyday thing, and that really came in handy for what I ended up doing a couple years later. Our our program was housed. My first office was in the Jackson House behind the Cabildo. So it was like crazy, you know. When I think back that, I got to work in this you know historic building and um, the history even surrounding the place where we worked. But we worked a lot from our cars and did site visits for most of the day. This was, again, early, well, late 2007. But, you know, most people were still living in FEMA trailers. So we had a lot of meetings in their FEMA trailer. And if we had our computers, we would have to take on site visits to type up scopes of work. And, you know, we'd have to plug into a utility pole or temporary kind of pole because the homes didn't have electricity so it was a you know an interesting environment to work in you had to learn to be resourceful and creative and um, it took preservation I think to a, a different level for me I was used to working in Savannah you know and helping put on tours for the Historic Savannah Foundation and so you know working on a kind of higher level or a more elite level of preservation, I guess. And this really brought it down to earth for me. And um, I really loved getting to hear the homeowners stories. Everybody had a Katrina story and Mm -hmm. that was really part of the job too, is listening to what they went through. You know, I wasn't, even though I was from Louisiana, I was in Savannah when uh, I was actually in France when hurricane Katrina hit. And so I, you know, didn't have my own Katrina story but I got to hear so many people's stories and um that was that was part of them helping part of getting them you know back into their house was listening to their story acknowledging you know how hard it was and how they had been displaced for so long and um helping them to move forward by restoring their home so it was mm-hmm. it was a pretty special job to have
1: yeah it sounds like it i i know that there are still Uh, you know, the PRC here has a program that they've been uh, doing for a little while where they've been helping people get back into their homes. And, and, And one of the families that they helped was a couple that have been living in their garage since Hurricane Katrina Yeah, because they had that damage to their house. And were just unable to, to do what they needed to do, and yeah. so they've been in this, like, what most people would consider a temporary situation for for more than 10 years, mm-hmm. and it's just amazing that, you know, it just takes the PRC comes in with some volunteers, and they just, a couple of days worth of work, and, and the people are back in a home they haven't been in in a decade, and it's just really you know, it, it's just really good work.
0: <laughs> yeah, it's, I mean, it's important work too. It really is. And, um, you know, I think that's why I most of my, really all of my preservation career has been helping people get either get back into or, you know, make better their home. And so that's kind of why I added the part of the reason I added the home on Hunt and Gather Home. Is the idea of home is very important to me. And that's really kind of how I view preservation is through you know residences and houses so that's that's how I see it
1: mm-hmm. I remember when I first moved here seeing the little signs in people's yards the ones that had been using the program mm-hmm. um, you know like driving around and seeing the little signs in the yard and it seemed like they were they were sort of all over the place and then they just eventually kind of disappeared and
0: yes the program sunset um... Yeah, I meant to look up the exact date, but I think in 2011 mm-hmm. um, it was temporary, and so projects were finishing up, but they weren't awarding any new grants, and they had a specific time period in which to use their funding. So it was temporary, but it was a great program and really made, you know, got a lot of people back into their homes, and I think we helped educate people too on just how important their their home was, you know, and how how their individual small homes Made up these neighborhoods that really are the fabric of New Orleans.
1: So, so you, am I correct that you, you guys decided to move back to Alexandria before the program finished, right? You didn't see it through to the end.
0: That's correct. I finished up most all of my projects. The program you know, it took longer than I think originally planned for several of the projects to finish up, which is normal in a construction project. Right. <laughs> and um, so they kept extending the deadline, you know, they it, it would extend it every so often. So I think, you know, the deadline had been extended a couple of times, but we knew it was coming to a close. And by that time we had one little boy and, you know, we're kind of crowded in a in a small shotgun house, double shotgun on one side. And, um, you know, knew we wanted to grow our family, and so a job opportunity became available in Alexandria, so we decided to to move back, and um, it was not an easy decision at all. It's mm-hmm. never easy. I, well, maybe for some people it is, but it wasn't easy for us to leave New Orleans. We really did love it, and we loved our neighborhood and loved living in the city, but it was just the, the best decision for us as a family, so that's what we did. We moved back in August of 2010.
1: Okay. Okay. <laughs> yeah. So when you moved back to Alexandria and then you started to work as the director of the Alexandria Historic Preservation Commission, which is the AHPC. I love all these letters, always throwing them around everywhere.
0: (laughs) Exactly. Um, In government work, there's a lot of that.
1: (laughs) Yeah, yeah. So what were your primary duties in that particular role?
0: So the Alexandria Historic Preservation Commission is the preservation arm of this city is under the planning department. It's like equivalent to the HDLC in New Orleans.
1: Mm-hmm. That,
0: you know, helps people understand it. But so my primary duties were a little were very different. Let me say than they would have been had I worked in really any other preservation commission for any other city in the country, as I understand it. So I'll I'll give you a little history of the AHPC it was established okay. in the in the late 1970s and ordinances were put in place for us to have design review and a commission um, and how that should operate but commissioners were never appointed and i, I don't know why i have no idea um, but all the way up until the early 2000s this commission existed on paper but not in reality oh. and so yeah it's very interesting in the early 2000s the owner that time of the Hotel Bentley, which is sort of our landmark historic structure in downtown Alexandria, he applied for um, a demolition permit. Of course, no one wanted at the city, one, and no one in town wanted the Bentley to be torn down. And so I think, mm-hmm. you know, I wasn't here, but anyway, the city was sort of trying to figure out, well, how can we keep him from demolishing the Hotel Bentley? And they realized oh we have a preservation commission like they can say it's a landmark structure and you can't tear it down so they quickly kind of gathered a preservation commission and were able to stop the Bentley from being demolished um, and at that point you know appointed commissioners and they had a, a director who was there before I was and they did some good work they were not reviewing anything that happened in our we, we do have three local historic districts That were created in the 70s. At that time, in the early 2000s, the commission was not reviewing anything that happened in those districts. Um, So it's really an odd situation. And you're probably wondering why the heck I decided to (laughs) step into that. And honestly, I really thought that there's so much potential. I don't know if you've ever, you you may not have ever been to Alexandria. We're a town of about 40,000, over 40,000, 47,000 people. 200,000 in the in the greater area. We've really got some great buildings here. We mm-hmm. have lost a lot downtown as many small towns have, but you know, we've got some things built in the early 1900s. We have great post-war buildings and structures. Um so we have we've got a lot of potential. We have three historic districts. One, our garden district is also national register district, and we've got a second mid-century national register district. So some great historic building stock. We just don't have, you know, we don't have those regulations in place that protect any of, of the buildings. And so I, you know, thought that there was so much potential and that I could help, you know, if not, if not actually get those, um, regulations and and review processes put in place at least help build up, you know, support for preservation in the city. Mm -hmm. So, so for four years or five years, I was the director of the commission. We had to do things a little differently, obviously, because we weren't reviewing anything. Um, But we operated more like a nonprofit. I mean, I had worked a little bit with the historic Savannah foundation. And then of course, ha- you know, knew everything that the preservation resource during resource center was doing in new Orleans. And so I had a, you know, some great ideas of how, how we can at least get people um, interested in preservation and talking about preservation and recognizing, you know, what we do have here in Alexandria.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: So one of those things that we did, we started, well, one we we branded our historic districts, so I realized that most people did not know that we had three historic districts. So we took our maps. One, we created a website for the commission. <laughs> Two, we had a map of the district put on the website that kind of color coded the boundaries of each district and gave some history about each one. And then we had banners put up in each district that had a representative, you know, photograph of the, you know, the architecture that you would find in that district, the type of architecture, and those were kind of color-coded too. So as you're driving, our, our districts all touch one another. So as you're driving downtown, you could kind of drive through and and realize, oh, I'm in a I'm in historic district, and this is the Garden District, and now I'm moving into our West End District, and, you know, to get people to realize, to, to get them looking at mm-hmm. their environment and to realize, oh, you know, there is something different and special about each one of these and then we started a holiday tour of homes with the Garden District Neighborhood Foundation, which is our neighborhood foundation for the Garden District. And um, that was a big project that has now been picked up solely by the Garden District Neighborhood Foundation. And that's become an annual event for them and a fundraising event for the Neighborhood Association. But we picked, you know, five or six homes to be on tour. That's always the second week in December. We had docents to give the history. We talked about, you know, specific architectural features of the home and tried to get people to, people from outside of the Garden District to come in and see what a great neighborhood we have Um, and to appreciate, you know, a lot of the renovation work. We have wonderful people doing some wonderful renovation work on the homes here. And so we wanted to kind of showcase that. This gave us a great opportunity to get people from outside of the neighborhood and outside of town into the, to the garden district and, and see what great houses and what a great community it is. What else did we do? I was able to, we did receive a grant from um, the State Division of Historic Preservation to resurvey our local garden district. And so that, that district had been surveyed in the early 1980s. So we were resurveying to kind of see what building stock has been lost, you know, we wanted to update to see what changes people were making to their homes. That, you know, was very helpful, sort of gauging where we were as Mm -hmm. um, as a local district and what are, you know, a lot of the things and changes people that are changes that people are making to their historic homes, which generally tend to be adding vinyl siding, replacing windows, and putting in doors from Home Depot. So (laughs) um, anyway, that, you know, was helpful in kind of giving our commission, you know, some talking points about these are things we need to be looking at and sort of educating people on why we don't need to be making these changes. What else did we do? Oh, we started a a monthly preservation and progress award. We've got a little monthly publication called Sun Law Focus Magazine that you know people can pick up and read, and we began putting an article in each month that honored a homeowner or a couple for renovation work in one of our historic districts, so it could be a a primary residence or it could be an income producing property, a lot of times they would use the preservation tax credits to do that work. Mm -hmm. We wanted to, you know, acknowledge the good work that they were doing, kind of show that it's not impossible to rehab a historic structure, um, and this is how other people are doing it, and then to gear up, you know, some support and some excitement about what was going on in our garden district. You know, I listened to one of your I think the first podcast that you did talking about the historic wooden windows, which I thought was great. Um, there yeah. were so many things I was nodding my head about and saying, oh, I've said this <laughs> so many times. Like I want to make everyone listen to this. But sh- one of the comments she made her story she was telling was that a, she'd gone in a realtor, realtor was in the house. And I guess someone had made a comment about, oh, let's, you know, change out the windows. And the realtor said, or the wife said, no, a realtor, you know, said that this will reduce our, our property value in this historic mm-hmm. neighborhood. And that is such the opposite of what happens here in Alexandria. And I think a lot of smaller towns is, you know, our, our historic districts aren't valued real estate wise as as highly as our newer neighborhoods. And for the life of me, I can't understand it. I mean, it's completely opposite in in larger cities for the most part, it seems. But, you know, you can get our our new construction costs here in Alexandria are the highest um, of anywhere in the state, I believe. And I would be willing to bet that our historic housing costs are some of the lowest. Um, So you can get a very large home with very large bedrooms, you know, a nice established yard in our Garden District area for probably almost a third of the cost, you could get the same size home in new construction. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, I, there's, there are a lot of arguments to be made for living in, in historic homes. Um, there offers some great incentives, tax credits due, and there's just some great things about older homes that you can't get anywhere else. And that is sort of what we, you know, that is really what we wanted to push with the Preservation Commission Because we weren't able to do much, you know, we weren't really able to do what we were established to do. So -hmm. we had to be creative about what we could do.
1: (laughs) Yeah. Did they eventually start enforcing anything or is it still just sort of loose? They
0: have not. They, and honestly, I'm not, I'm not certain what the future holds for the commission. We don't have a director currently right now. And we do have a new mayoral administration, so I'm not sure what's on their agenda, I would really hope that they'll look into, you know, supporting the commission and Mm -hmm. moving it forward. There's some wonderful things, you know, we don't have a main street program here in Alexandria and we're just, you know, I've been ready for that. And so Mm
1: -hmm.
0: we've got wonderful people in our community that want to see our downtown grow and are pouring their efforts and time and money into that. Got a great garden district neighborhood foundation that, you know, wants to see, our neighborhood flourish, and so I think there 's a lot of community support for it, but we haven 't seen it happen yet, so I'm
1: hopeful. Mm-hmm.
0: i 'm hopeful ultimately I, deci- I you know I decided that i could I could do more for preservation and I could do more of what I loved if i if i didn 't work for a governmental agency right. <laughs> <laughs> so um, and I really love like I, I realized I need some hands on things to do with preservation too. You know, I need some hands-on work in there. So sitting behind a desk and I love doing research, but, you know, sitting behind that desk all day and kind of telling people, oh, it would, this is really how you should do it. Or, you know, these are the preservation standards, but then not being able to really help them with that, that was difficult for me. So ultimately mm-hmm. that's kind of why I decided to to start my own business.
1: Yeah. I, I met someone at, at a a class where we were learning how to restore historic windows and he he is actually a podcast guest as well but he was he is the the city of Hattiesburg you know, in the planning department, basically yeah. the same type of role, but in mm. Hattiesburg <laughs> exactly. and the same kind of issues, small, you know, smaller town, you know, there's really only one person that kind of does all the stuff. And, um, you know, he, he was doing that class and he does other things like that because he's like, it's one thing for me to sit, like you said, sit behind the desk and tell people, this is how you have to do it. But I don't actually know, like, physically hands-on how to do it myself so I'm like learning all those skills too right. <laughs> so right,
0: yeah I want to be able to you know and I live in an older in an old house too and so I've got windows I need to work on and um but yeah I really want to be able to relate to the people I'm working with and and you know, not just have a head knowledge of what I'm telling them, but also have that hands-on knowledge. It's really important,
1: right? And I just remembered that you were in the same class, and yes. I just totally forgot.
0: <laughs> no, no, that's okay. I brought my neighbor too, so um, yeah, we've got. And she's she's already repointed all. I mean, repointed. You know, what am I saying? Redone all of her windows. That's not the right word, but I'm blanking on that right now. But she's been working hard. I've I've got to get on it. <laughs>
1: I would, I would love to do that where we live too. I mean, we, we're in a rental, you know, cause New Orleans is expensive and, yeah. <laughs> and I would love to get my hands on these windows in this house. There's just so many things that I could do to just like make it a little bit nicer, uh-huh. but right now I can't, I can't really do any of that stuff right now. Yeah. But so you kind of answered like a couple of my next questions, like, you know, Was it hard to, when you first started in that role, was it hard to like advocate for preservation where people in the neighborhood just kind of like surprised of like, oh, all of a sudden now we have a director and there's a commission and, or did you find that they were like more receptive of what y'all were trying to do? And, and, you know, did people easily get involved with the stuff that was going on?
0: Yeah. um, I think we saw a little bit of both. We, uh, people really, they're excited about like the neighborhood. People who live in the Garden District here, they like, they make a, they really want to live in the Garden District. Like they want to live in an older home, you know? And so they're in here intentionally. And so they, you know, want that knowledge and they, they want to know that their neighborhood is just as valued as, you know, a lot of the new construction that is going up. I don't have anything against new houses, or, you know, or new neighborhoods. Um, I just really feel like we need to be intentionally planning both, you know, both mm-hmm. our, our new growth, our new development, which is great for a city to have new development. That's a good thing. Um, but we also need to be taking care of our historic neighborhoods and our historic city centers and cores. They're, they're both needed in a healthy city and a healthy, you know, building environment. And they both have good things to offer. Um, but it, yeah, it wasn't, you know, moving here and taking that job was not without its challenges. You know, I, I knew that I was coming from living and working in Savannah and New Orleans where there is a large, you know, preservation community. And mm-hmm. if, if you're going to stand up and say, Hey, we need to, we want to you know, we want to have, some oversight into to what con- new construction looks like in our old neighborhood, or what you know renovations look like on the exterior in our old neighborhood. There's generally generally going to be support for that. Here, it, it's a little different. Some people are going to want that, but other people have a lot of questions, which is okay. That conversation is important.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: There, there are also a lot of misconceptions, you know, like you're going to tell me that I can only paint my color, my house, you know, right. this color. And like, No, it's not that. <laughs> so that conversation, you know, we kind of got the ball rolling on that conversation. Uh, it just never moved further than that.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: So I'm hoping that right now in our neighborhood, in the Garden District, you know, we're seeing issues come up about some vacant properties and demolition demolition by neglect honestly um, but because we don't have that in a preservation ordinance those properties just sit there and they the roof can be falling in and you know nothing happens the owner isn't held responsible so there are a lot of issues like that that we see um, that people you know have started speaking up about where there are some answers that preservation can offer so I'm hoping that'll we'll we'll eventually get there.
1: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And I think it's just like, you know, what what you were doing, it's just letting people know what their options are and why working to preserve those things is a, is a good thing and getting away from like those misconceptions that people have. Yeah.
0: And I really found too on the flip side, like when people see the end result of preservation, if say someone did use the tax credits, which we do have a lot of people that use them. Mm -hmm. And in fact, one, one block on one of our streets in the garden district was it is investment, you know, um, investment property, but you know, an investor has rehabbed four, three or four properties on this block and really turned the block around. Everyone loves the end result. They, It's great. You know, it looks so much better. They love the character that it adds back to the block. But then when you, so then when you start talking about that and tell them, oh, they use the tax credits and there are standards that you have to follow, you know, that, when you work from the end result backwards, that kind of helps people see that, Preservation isn't so scary. It isn't so restrictive. You know, it is about protecting really what people who choose to live in older neighborhoods already value. Mm -hmm. It's it's helping them realize that you know there are important conversations that need to be had. Just you know, knowing people want to know that you're going to listen to their concerns and their questions, and then have a conversation about it. And then you know, ultimately, it is up to the people in the neighborhood who need to decide whether or not they want that protection and that review for their neighborhood is our our situation is just interesting because technically we did have that already in the 70s and it just wouldn't put in place so it's really hard to retroactively you know go back and put something put this a burden or you know put that on put the regulations on a neighborhood when they really they hadn't been experiencing them for the past 30 years so
1: yeah i can understand that for sure (laughs) So let's move forward a little bit and talk about what you're doing now. So in 2015, you started your current company, Gather Home, Mm -hmm. um, which blends preservation with, I have interior design, but I wasn't sure if that, if it, if you just like to use the term design or what, what you prefer to, to call it.
0: (laughs) Yeah. I, I just use design because I, You know, I don't have an interior design degree, so I I definitely want to respect people that do, um, that are working in that field and have the interior design degree. But I, I mean, mostly, you know, what I do is on the interior. But I'm not working with, you know, a large architectural firm and um, helping to plan interiors out that way. It is more a little bit more of decorating. I mean, I will work with contractors to kind of help reimagine some spaces and that sort of thing. But it is not. Technically, interior design. Okay, okay. Else, yeah. <laughs> I, know, I think there was a second part to your question. To your question, that I was yeah I forgot. yeah okay. I just
1: wanted to touch on that first because yeah. I I wasn't quite sure when I was writing all this stuff down. Yeah. Um, so you have that, and then you also have a shop that's called Southern Chic.
0: Chic, yeah, chic. I-
1: always have trouble with that word i don't know what it is about
0: it i didn't i didn't name the shop um i I purchased the shop two um girls from new orleans had started it they were actually katrina transplants one of them was and um, she started with a friend here and so they named it and it's been a successful shop so i didn't want to change the name but um yeah it's southern chic and people often (laughs) will call i get southern chick i get a lot of different things (laughs) there.
1: yeah that's one of those, there's a few words that I, I never can quite fit. <laughs> uh, that's definitely one of them. So uh, how do you combine the two things? How do you combine preservation and and design and, yeah. and make that like a cohesive, I guess, cohesive projects that you work on?
0: You know, I've, I've always people have often asked me even before I started the company to help them choosing, you know, paint colors or like furniture and rearranging things and helping them like find their, their style. I've kind of had somewhat of a natural eye for color and design. And so, and I have a a really good talent for finding vintage furniture, like usually already on the side of the road. And it just, Mm -hmm. it finds me, I think. But um, anyway, so that's sort of how I named my company hunt and gather. I was always hunting for, for good furniture pieces you know the only new piece of furniture we even have in our house is a, a couch a new couch but everything else is, has sort of been gathered so sort of a collected style of living it equates a really comfortable style and and usually always unique because they're pieces that you don't you can't always just buy from a store so that's how I, I named the business hunt and gather and um you know i i noticed the opportunity to make a, a connection between the preservation in design, when I was working for the state and for the city, I got to go in a lot of people's homes. I was, you know, making sure they followed the Secretary of Interior standards for rehabilitation, but those standards don't have anything to do with with design, you know. Right. So I I would see people, they would let their contractors, you know, pick just kind of a run of the mill tile floor, and you know, we were working on a budget, but you don't always have to go with the vanilla everything. And, you know, so I, the projects would finish up and they'd be, they completely meet the secretary of interior standards. But I always felt like, oh, but it could look a little better. Like you could have chosen a, you know, a different tile or a different color scheme. And so Mm -hmm. the the design aspect for me was missing. So I just sort of realized, well, look, I can, I can do that. The tax credit paperwork, and I can help you with the understanding and interpreting the standards. But I can also help you pick out paint colors that you know either going kind to of complement the the period of the house, or or can be really fun. And we can help accentuate some of the characteristics, you know, the architectural details of your home, and and put a little more thought into the interior while you're also doing this rehab. So it was kind of a natural progression for me to move into. doing both
1: so it it yeah I mean I think like for me it's one thing to to go through all of this work and and to make everything you know nice and and restore the house you know back to the way that you want it and then to just sort of paint everything beige (laughs) you know like why go through all of that and and bring back all the details and, and make it something nice again to just kind of treat it the same way you would treat new construction right. so I can I definitely understand what you're saying um, and there's, in that regard
0: there's, yeah there's so much when you really start researching an older home sometimes you find you know old wallpaper she's called wallpaper or you know some older paint colors underneath several layers that are really fun to kind of maybe incorporate in a different way into the building you know or, or to use and and bring back to so there's so many there's so many little things you can do that come from that preservation and that research side, but they can pull into the design of the building and, and to really make it, you know, your own. So that's the fun part of it, I think.
1: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So can you um, maybe talk about a couple of projects that you've worked on where you've been able to use both sets, both the preservation and the design skills that you have?
0: Sure, yeah. I'm finishing up a project right now that is um, state- Commercial tax credit project with um, Emmanuel Baptist Church in downtown Alexandria. I've been kind of with them from the planning period all the way through, like construction, development, and then into the interiors. And now we're we're finishing up. It's been a really long project, like six years. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Uh, But it's been it's been neat to be with them through that whole process. Had a lot of technical preservation conversations with with the architects and the contractors. You know, initially about okay, we want to keep these original windows and we want to restore this really cool Clara story and we're looking at some moisture infiltration issues. So we need to make sure that we're kind of doing the most minimally invasive treatments on the, the exterior brick and that sort of thing. But then when we got to the interiors portion, you know, in choosing... Paint colors for those newly refinished faces. It was really rewarding to help them. You know, we opened up a lot of the interior of the building. It had been closed off, and while there were windows really all over the exterior, there were smaller rooms that were the only ones that had access to that went to those windows and all of that light. So our architects were able to open up that space and bring light into the the center part of the structure. This is our education building, and into these large gathering spaces and offer these connections between everyone inside of the church to, you know, our downtown community outside, which is a a really cool thing to open up and see. But with the colors we chose and some of the furnishings, you know, we were able to find antique touches and, you know, serving pieces and things that kind of echo that 1920 feel and structure mm-hmm. and architectural details and then pair that with some new couches and chairs and really create these spaces you know that architecturally opened up for us and then we have all this light coming in from those windows that were restored but also there they're places that are comfortable and really peaceful and quiet where people want to sit and have conversations. so you know being able to help pull all of that together and and see that that whole project come from you know, just really a dream of what it could be like to fruition is really a neat process to be to be a part of. And it, the interior now really feels like, oh, this it feels like it's always been there, mm-hmm. um, which is really a testament to the architects. And then it's just cool to be able to find the, the perfect pieces to fit, you know, furniture wise to fit in that space and make it feel like, you know, this is this is how it, it should have been. built in the first place Mm -hmm. and then you know i've so the residential tax credit state tax credit is no longer unfortunately yeah um and i'm i'm really sad about that for communities like alexandria where we where you know that was one way that we could ensure projects in our historic districts um you know, followed the Secretary of Interior standards and had some guidelines to follow, at least on the exterior. You know, so a project that was at one of I guess one of the last state <laughs> residential tax credit projects um, for a young couple's home in our Garden and District. You know, I mainly worked on the tax credit application, but they wanted some help on choosing colors and you know floor stains and countertops and some other small details. You know, light fixtures and that sort of thing. So lots of my clients already have good taste and if they're, you know, so they want some advice on working within an older home and sometimes all they need is a little reassurance that their color choices are going to fit and they're going to flow through the home and that sort of thing. Or, you know, I'll have people that ask me even for help looking for some vintage pieces of furniture, that, that sort of thing. So that, you know, that's another way that I can come in on the design side of a, a project.
1: Mm-hmm. yeah I we're always looking for like mid-century pieces because yeah. that's that's what I'm really into mm-hmm. and and I n- I can never find like I'm just not good at finding that kind of stuff estate <laughs>
0: um, sales are a great they're a great way to find some really cool mid-century pieces and mm-hmm. you know I, I'll, I'll have to let you know if we're having any estate sale, sales here in Alexandria specifically in our Mid-Century National Register District. We have a lot of homes in there that are still, you know, the the people who built those homes still live in them. And so they yeah. have some original furniture that, you know, perfectly fits the house. And that's a great place to, to find the Mid-Century pieces I, I find. Yeah. But then you get
1: sad because people are taking out the I know, pieces you don't, that fit in the house. <laughs>
0: exactly. Yeah. You, I, w- I really want it to stay there too. <laughs> but...
1: Yeah. My, my mom just recently found us a vintage serving cart. It's one of the ones that has like the heating pad on the top of it. So you can plug it in and like keep oh, your yeah. fondue pot warm or whatever uh-huh. on the top of it. And she sent me a picture of it. She said, I found this. My She lives in, in Pensacola. And uh, she was like, I found this at this antique store and she sent me the picture and there was like a sticker on it and it said sale like thirty five ninety nine. I was like, buy it, buy it now, buy it right now.
0: <laughs> yeah, there's always, I mean, I can't tell you how many things I find and I don't have a place for like right then and there, but I know that it needs to come home with me. And so I've got tons of like chairs that are stuffed in our attic or in our storeroom that um, I've either found on the side of the road that are in perfectly good condition. They just need to be recovered or, you know, for really cheap a flea market or somewhere. And it's it's fun to find like the perfect owner, like who who that needs to go to. And it's fun when that matches up like with a home I'm working on or a design client. I've got one little mid-century ranch that I'm working with their owners right now. And um, it's not a tax credit project. It's just a kitchen and like the little butler's pantry redesign. But we've had fun, you know, I found they wanted to do some fun wallpaper. So we found some great wallpaper and then I ended up having this perfect little vintage chinoiserie light fixture that's going to go in that little small space so it's really fun to help people kind of reimagine their older home in a style that that is suitable for the home but also for their personality that that's really fun to see their final reaction when you know everything's finished.
1: Okay so let's talk about your your award that you got a couple years ago. (laughs) It's pretty exciting. So in 2017, you were named one of Alexandria's 20 under 40 for your work as a preservationist and an entrepreneur. So what was that like to to get that award from your city?
0: It was, I was really surprised and it was really quite an honor. I am still not sure who nominated me, which really Mm -hmm. makes it even more fun because, you know, and I, I work for myself. So, you know, a lot of times people's businesses and their well-deserved nominations will nominate, you know, them. So it was kind of special. And I, I just like knowing that someone out there nominated me, but I don't know who it was. So whoever it is, if you're listening, thank you. Um, I appreciate it. But, you know, my business was still pretty new and I had really just had the store for a year. So it, it was encouraging to know that others, you know, saw my hard work and appreciated it um, after coming from working for the commission for for the five years and you know not, not really being disappointed with myself but feeling like I did you know did we did I work as hard as I could have to you know to do as much as I could have to to serve preservation for the city it it was it was nice to know that people still appreciated my efforts and kind of gave me hope for preservation in Alexandria mm-hmm. um it was also an honor that I got to share with my husband he was also Nominated and honored in 2017. Oh, wow. too. He's an educator. So um, that was, you know, I know meant a lot to him. I can't tell you how hard teachers work. They really mm-hmm. <laughs> all deserve an award like that. But he is, he's my biggest supporter. He, you know, equally shares in managing, helping me manage the work that I have to do, managing the work he has to do. And then our, our kids and our family. So I couldn't do, you know, I couldn't really do all of this without, him knowing that he's behind been behind me hundred percent. And he's the one that kind of encouraged me to, to take the leap into self-employment. So it was a special, special honor to share with him and, um, just encouraging for me all around.
1: Mm-hmm. I bet it was the same person that nominated the both of you.
0: Probably so <laughs> <laughs> maybe, but it was fun. It was fun to share with him and, um, Yeah, there was a great group of people. We've we've got a lot of great we've got a lot of great people in Alexandria, and a lot of wonderful young professionals. So, and I found that there are so many, you know, we've got a lot of young people that are moving back into our historic districts. So it's fun to kind of develop that community with them, and to go over to each other's houses, and you know, everyone's house looks different. It's cool to kind of talk about well, you know, I found this brick in the backyard or, you know, we've been working on this problem or this issue or, you know, we're working on our windows. So we've always all got a project going on, which is fun to share. Mm -hmm.
1: So I Mm -hmm. think I want to move forward to my favorite question to ask, because I always like to hear everybody's answers. What is your favorite thing about preservation?
0: My favorite thing about preservation is really is bringing new life to old buildings. I I think I talked about it a little, just seeing people's reactions um, when a project is finished and they go into that space for the first time. But I realized early on that, you know, I can, if I walk into a building that's vacant or, you know, kind of run down and and needs needs work, I can see that potential for that structure when I walk into it. Like I'm imagining, oh, this either was, you know, this is what they use this for. This would be a great, you know, rehabbed into this kind of purpose for this room, that kind of thing. But I've, I've learned that not everyone has the ability to do that. They just don't see it. So I love working with old buildings because they, to me, they sort of tell you like what they need and where things belong. The more you start working on it and researching it and uncovering some things and doing a little bit of, of demolition. So there's, you know, I find there's an art to designing with them, like mm-hmm. with them and not against them. I've, you know, I've, I've worked with. I'll go into with some contractors. They'll come in and they'll say, "Oh, we'll just gut all this out," you know, and they just take it all out and it's a blank slate. But um, I really find that if you kind of work with the building, it'll it'll tell you what it needs. And so right. when you when you go through that process, and especially when you're working with someone that may not see that potential or doesn't have that full vision, and maybe they're a little skeptical about it, you know, to get to the end of the project and to watch their reaction and to see them kind of feel the space now that it's been rehabbed and it's, you know, suits them and is comfortable again. Um, that's that's what I really love to see. That's my favorite thing about preservation. I think it's being able to put both, you know, the research part, my head into it and my heart into the design part of the project and really seeing clients enjoy that for, for themselves and kind of get it too. That's That's really rewarding for me.
1: Mm-hmm. I, I I like that. I like working with the house instead of against it. That's a good. That's a really good way to put it. So on the opposite side of that, what what would be your least favorite thing, and do you have any pet peeves?
0: Yeah, I try, I try to think about this one in a while. Um, my my least favorite thing, I think, is I feel like preservationists. There are a lot of misconceptions about like preservationists, and they're always going to be opposed to new construction or they're so stringent about paint colors and, you know, following these rules. And so I think that's kind of my least favorite thing that I have to deal with, you know, with mm-hmm. is, is kind of being defensive against that. You know, I think most people don't understand that there's, and that's just part of explaining to people, you know, kindly that there's kind of three levels of preservation. There's the rehab, which is what, you know, we're usually going to do, we're going to make it suitable for modern use. And there's a lot of freedom and creativity that can go into that. And there's, you know, restoration and there's true preservation. So that, you know, having, I, I don't like having to be defensive about preservation. So I'm trying to change my attitude about that. I think, um, you know, when you're working in a place where there's not a huge preservation community, you have to have the, those conversations a lot more often. So I, I can kind of get tired of that, but I realized too, that there's, those conversations are important and we need to be able to work with, you know, people from all different backgrounds and kind of bring them on board with preservation too. So,
1: yeah. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Well, yeah, I I think that is, you know, that is something that houses have to be functional and, you know, we, we want them to be you know, we want them to be preserved and we want them to be nice, but we also understand that people have to be able to live in them. Right. <laughs> and some things, some things do just change. You know, as much as I like having a vintage kitchen, it's very cool. But I also like having an oven that cooks things evenly. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and and so I, having an an upgraded stove would be nice. But you know, right now I've got a cool vintage kitchen and that's fine. But yeah, like not everybody wants you to come in and and make your house into a museum. Things still have to function like a home. (laughs) Right. Exactly.
0: Exactly. Um, So I, you know, I found that even the, you know, whole conversation around saving the pink bathrooms, you know, having, adding this design aspect into my business has helped me kind of to, you know, just think about that in a different way. There would have been a time where I would, have said, you know, you've got to keep that bathroom. And as much as I would love for people to keep them, I do understand that sometimes that's just not going to work for somebody. So, you know, it's it's okay to let some things go. There's some flexibility and opens up some space for some creativity, but uh, you know, it's just important to have those, those conversations. And I think most preservationists are willing to have those conversations. So the, there's a misconception that we're not or that we're too stringent on on keeping things just as they are. You know, that's that's the thing that is my least favorite about, you know, that misconception that preservationists aren't really flexible and and creative in that way.
1: Mhm. So do you have any advice for someone that's looking to get into preservation?
0: Um yes, I would say, you know, I would I would tell them just to go for it. I think it it depends on um, you know where you're coming from in life if you are already you know established and working i think the best the best place to get started um, is to go to your local historic you know neighborhood foundation to your if you have a neighborhood group um, or your local preservation nonprofit and find some ways there to kind of get involved you know you mentioned the volunteer opportunities through the preservation resource center and getting hands on work in through those opportunities, that's, that's a great way to kind of figure out if you like the hands-on work part of preservation um, and getting some of those technical skills. And also, you know, that's a great way to, to find out what the, what preservation issues are, are prominent in your neighborhood or in your city. Cause every mm-hmm. city is different and every city's got you know different things that it's preservation wise is is fighting against or struggling with or trying to figure out so that's that's a great way to understand you know how preservation works or or doesn't work in your city if you're looking to get into preservation like through education through a a preservation program i would say you know there's so many opportunities now and easy ways to do research on those programs but you know you can't replace a good school visit. You will right. really get a feel for the community that you're going to be studying in and, and working in and living in and the opportunities around. So I would, you know, strongly encourage you to do that. And I know the programs have changed so much since I was in school and um, there's probably many more opportunities and cool projects going on. So, you know, I really would encourage people to, take the time and to do those school visits but think about you know more than just the academic programs think about think forward you know what area of the country do you think you might want to to live or work or stay in um, or ultimately find a job in not that you can't move around you absolutely can but you know some people are drawn to certain areas so it's it's good to preservation can be kind of specific to a region you know and and if your professors are working on projects in, in the South, and then you're going to learn just naturally more about the architecture of that region. So yeah, that's one thing you might want to think about. And then understand, you know, the different, the different areas of preservation and maybe kind of get a feel through that volunteering. Do you want to look for something that's more scientific and more technical? There's some great opportunities with like, we have the um, national center for preservation technology and training just 45 minutes up the road from us in Natchitoches. Mm-hmm. Um, that's very technical and like doing some scientific studies and research on preservation. Do you think you might like to work in the government side of preservation for the Shippo or for a local city government? You know, those people are needed and I, it takes, it takes a special person to do that and to, to really enjoy it. So that's an important role too. nonprofits or design related. I mean, you might decide you want to go through an architecture program and add on a certificate in preservation you know there's there's so many ways preservation is such a wide open field I feel like you can come to it from any background and you can kind of move move into other backgrounds with a preservation degree so take your time and do the research and kind of figure out what which direction you want to go with it and um I you know but but go for it that's what I would say
1: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And don't be afraid to ask questions and ask other people like what they're, what they're doing. If you know somebody or, you know, something like that. And I think getting involved with those local organizations is right on, right on point for that, for sure. Definitely. All right, so in case anybody wants to reach out to you or look more into your business or anything like that, how can our listeners get in touch with you, and what is your social media?
0: Yeah, um, you can find me as Hunt and Gather Home on Instagram and Facebook at Hunt and Gather Home, and then my website is huntandgatherhome.com, so pretty easy if you can remember those three words. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Okay. Well, I'll also
1: put links to everything in the show notes too. So, um, if people are looking at, at my website, they can, um, you know, they'll be able to get your information from there as well. Perfect. Sounds great. Okay. Okay. All right. I think that's just about it for today. Thank you for being a guest on the show, Megan.
0: Thanks. You're so welcome.
1: Hey everybody, thank you so much for listening to this episode. Let us know what you think by leaving a review on iTunes. If you would like to get a direct link to our guest's information or just want to give us a shout, you can contact us by visiting our website at preservationdestination.com. There you can check out each show's notes and much more information about the podcast. If you prefer good old-fashioned social media, we are also on Instagram and Facebook as Preservation Destination. Feel free to give us a like and click the follow button to stay informed about upcoming episodes. Again, thank you for being with us and we hope you'll join us again next time here on Preservation Destination.